Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. Hey, well, it's actually surreal. Erin Burnett's position is that uh, she's totally cool with partial birth abortion. Uh, she just doesn't want a guy in blackface doing it. Uh, she's got nothing against uh, the governor's proposals for infanticide. Uh, she just doesn't want him singing Mammy when he's down there. This is actually uh, it encapsulates the real problem, I would say, with public discourse in our society, is that we always prioritize the trivial over the difficult questions. Yes, that's right. And it's precisely because the abortion issue is so huge and real uh, that we would rather uh, leap back to a 35-year-old yearbook picture and talk about that for the next two weeks. It's, it's interesting because one of the guests on the sh the, in the clip that we just played said exactly the opposite of what you observe, meaning you know, they always say the opposite of what's mm. true. But he said, well, let's get back to it. You know, you don't want to talk about something uncomfortable like a right. clan hood on a page. You want to get back to something that's comfortable like infanticide. And the truth is, it's very comfortable to talk about blackface on a, on a yearbook page. Everyone's against it. Yeah. No one's defending it. No one would defend it. Never occurred to me to defend that. Why would you? It's awful. So, like, it's not even a conversation. It's like a group affirmation that we all think it's bad. It's not even, we're not even talking, are we? Well, in a sense, it is. It, the whole controversy is a kind of minstrel show in itself, uh, in that we're, we're sort of putting on a show about being concerned about black people. For example, abortion. Uh, uh, black women account for, I think it's somewhere between 35 and 40 percent uh, of all abortions. Uh, in New York City, more black babies are aborted than born. Now, so if you actually take uh, the black community seriously, that is a huge question. And it's much more relevant than some guy putting on a clan hood uh, for his stupid uh, yearbook photo Wait, uh, ask you a question? Uh, 35 years ago. So more African-American kids in New York aborted than born. If you That's approved right. of that, if you thought that was a good thing and you pushed to make it easier, would you be for or against black people? Simple question. Well, I think you're against black people. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, you mentioned the, uh, the Japanese uh, uh, baby bust which is what's going on in Japan at the moment. Japan as a nation is basically going out of business because they don't have enough babies. Here, if you, if you are in favor of black people, if you like black people, if, if you think you really want to be affirming about the black community, why are you in favor of something uh, that actually will ensure that the black community diminishes as a proportion well, exactly. of America's exactly. population? This is, the, 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 this is because abortion is the central sacrifice of the Democrats these days. And so, as I said, this, this minstrel show routine where everybody gets annoyed about stupid ancient jokes or wants to tear down some 150-year-old statue, this actually, uh, all this, this, this political minstrelsy gets in the way of actual serious right. debate. It really does. And uh, I am just, uh, you know, uh, I find it hard to understand um, why we're having a debate about whether or not uh, Governor Northam is a racist or not. 
Because I can tell you, he took money from Planned Parenthood, lots of money, when he ran. And uh, if anything would make me believe he might have a racist uh, streak, that would be it. Because uh, Ma Margaret Sanger, the person who founded Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist who believed in eliminating blacks. So, you know, listen, if you want to go down that, that road, I think it's much easier to go down that road over his uh, eugenics philosophy of uh, the baby's born and we uh, resuscitate it if the mother thinks so and then we talk about it and then we decide and then we kill it. You know, that to me is way more indicative of what a soulless human being uh, Ralph Northam is. Soulless. you got to be soulless. To be a physician of all things and to talk about the, uh, you know, the living, breathing baby as being, uh, you know, the subject of a conversation and not the efforts to um, keep it alive. You know, that I thought doctors were supposed to do no harm. I thought their obligation was to um, encourage and, and do everything they could to support life not terminate life. That's why I've always struggled with the idea that you should have doctor-assisted suicide. That just doesn't fall in the purview of doctors. That doesn't mean I don't think that doctors can be, um, well, that they could prescribe medications to alleviate suffering and then uh, not, not overly concern themselves with how family members may choose to use some of those medications. Um, it's almost a tacit agreement, but it's not the same as actually assisting in the termination of life. And I've heard all the arguments. Oh, but if you blow it and then you're in a, you know, you're in a coma or you blow it and there's brain damage. Uh, let me, let me explain something. People who are at the end of a, a long terminal disease who uh, opt out, because that's what it is, um, are already facing, you know, unbelievable suffering so i'm not going to sit around here and decide how much suffering um there they should handle i'm just going to tell you that i believe i should breathe until god takes my last breath from me and i believe everybody else should do the same thing i think everybody's life even the end of their life is a testimony and uh i don't want to interrupt my testimony Let's put it that way. But this whole uh, watching this go on, and now uh, you got to love this, right? Um, you've got the woman accusing the lieutenant governor in uh, Virginia of raping her or forcing her to have, uh, you know, give him uh, or oral sex in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention. That woman has now hired the same attorneys that Christine Blasey Ford hired. You know, listen, all I can say is um, karma's a, a, a bitch, you know. Sometimes people who uh, believe that there is no woman who shouldn't be believed and there's no law firm that shouldn't support the woman's efforts to bring the truth, um, you know, listen, sometimes it does come back to bite you on the proverbial buttocks. Um, and that's that to me. Look, Ralph Northam allowed a ad to air against uh, Rendell, who he was running against, uh, the Republican he was running for against. Ed Rendell, by the way, is the most innocuous guy on earth. He's like milder mannered than Northam even, just kind of a, 
not 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 strong enough to have win that won that race, which tells you how weak a candidate he was. But he ran an ad or allowed a an ad to run, which showed little children being chased down in the streets by you know a truck with a, a you know a Rendell for governor sticker on it, and I mean it was just vile. And now look what uh, look at the the mess he finds himself in. You know, I don't think they can find any of those pictures in Ed Rendell's uh, yearbook, but who knows? Everybody's yearbook is now going to be subject for scouring. Right now, there's opposition research people on both sides, okay, looking at uh, everybody's yearbook photographs. Uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, everybody is going to be like, weep. Remember this picture? And, uh, you know, that's the problem is we have... You know, for a country that is based on Judeo-Christian principles, which include the principle of redemption, forgiveness and redemption, it's amazing to me how we have moved from a society that, you know, uh, you know, admit your faults, say you're sorry, and, and the American people are, are just and will forgive to a society that if you did something bad 30, 40 years ago, you're going to be branded for the rest of your life. That's the only thing anybody's going to ever remember about you. You No one will ever remember Governor Northam for anything other than that photograph and the uh, ridiculous, disgusting, despicable statement that he made about the baby, uh, you know, being taken and and laid aside like, uh, you know, day old trash. And then a decision made whether to recycle or or just uh, dump her in the in the dump, you know, or he in the dump. It's, It's amazing to me, you know, that that everybody will be defined by their worst moment, never by their best moment, mind you. In the old days, we didn't define people by their worst moment, right? I mean, I can tell you some horrific things about people who ended up being um, glorified when they passed. People who, you know, during their the end of their lives lived in shame, hanging their heads. Guys like Richard Nixon, who then, you know, in death, you know, everybody was finally free to say, yeah, but he really is a pretty good president, just a pathological dude, but, you know. Uh, we had uh, all kinds of domestic policies and who nobody else could go to China. I mean, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that with a sufficient amount of time, there is redemption or there used to be. I don't think there will be any more. I mean, you know, you can you can drown somebody in Chappaquiddick and you could rise to be the lion of the Senate. But eventually somebody's going to make a movie called Chappaquiddick. That's where we are today. Whatever you did in the past will be with you for the rest of your life. And now with the Internet, our children and grandchildren, they are leaving an indelible mark that cannot be erased. All right. It's out there in cyber space. I've learned how to screenshot things that I am quite certain someone's going to delete quickly so that we have a record. And if I can do that, I can only imagine what uh, Facebook and Google and and Instagram and Snapchat and all the rest of them are capable of. Well, I don't have to imagine. We know. What's been that company's effect on our country, would you say? Well, you know, Tucker, when we started out, it was really a beautiful thing because it allowed us to connect with people we didn't see very often and allowed us to organize events. And, you know, it was all babies and puppies and really fun stuff. 
once they built a business model though Tucker they took the notion of advertising this idea that the people who are watching are not actually the customers they're the product and they took it one step further they went to this really invasive surveillance they went to this idea of manipulative uh, technologies and the result is that now we're the fuel and you know th this was a fine company I think these are good people but the reality is they have completely lost perspective and in their success they've accumulated political power that is unchecked and there's really no accountability for what they do and it's time for us to step back as people and recognize that this is not a right or left issue this is a right or wrong issue and frankly we all can be on the same side here because there's you don't want to hurt kids you certainly don't want to hurt privacy and you want people to be able to live their life yeah yeah i i, I have to tell you i had a conversation just last week and uh, and we continued it i continued it with a friend yesterday regarding a kid who was playing i do not know what Fortnite is so i'm gonna probably have to get hobo to explain this to me but there's apparently a game which you can play yeah. um with complete strangers all of them are kind of like that but yeah well this one is particularly popular among uh, high school kids and younger kids correct yeah it's pretty much that right. demographic yeah well so uh um the the aunt of a young teenage girl um, finds out that her niece is playing Fortnite with some teenager in Canada, and now they are making plans to meet up somewhere in the United States. Okay. Um, first and foremost, when she spoke with the, the young girl, she said, you realize that you don't have any idea if this is a teenager in Canada or not. It could be, uh, you know, a 47-year-old uh, creep in, in Tuscaloosa. Um, and, and the kid said, yeah, I know that. But still, um, buying the lie is what I guess it is. And I said, well, you know, there's only two, uh, two ways to deal with that. You've got to cut her off. You can't let her play the game with the person anymore. And everybody thinks I'm crazy when I say that stuff. But who... I'd rather be crazy and stop a, a young girl from getting involved online with a, a possible predator. I'd rather be crazy in that way than be uh, after the fact when she goes missing and we can't find her or worse yet, we find her in terrible situation. You know, then I got to that's when when I, I really will become crazy. I mean, loco in the cabeza so I, I i think people parents aunts uncles grandparents like me you got to be firm about this this is a dangerous dangerous tendency to get involved with people over the internet and believe the lie that they are who they say they are and that they simply want to play want to meet one of this one of that let me tell you what they want to do they want to abuse you and that's why we protect our children. It's not for them to protect themselves. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, sir, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. 
It used to be Republicans that ate their own. Now it's, of course, uh, Democrats and the media who are Democrats that eat their own. And while it's, uh, you know, it's a tremendous amount of fun to watch it go on, there's something really scary about it. You know, there's something um, that's starting to disturb me when it comes to how hell-bent we have become on seeing people absolutely destroyed. Like we're, we're not satisfied until they're absolutely destroyed. And, and it's like almost gleeful when you see some of these uh, television personalities in the act of destruction. Even when they're kind of, you know, pretending that it's not so. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, I'm listening to something, I guess, uh, you know, in passing on one of the news shows. Wasn't actually watching TV, but it was on in the background. And I'm listening and I hear uh, something about Liam Neeson, who, as far as I know, is like some actor. I think I've seen a couple of movies that he's in. I, I think he was in uh, uh, Schindler's List. I mean, I, 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 I don't, as most of you know, I don't go to that many movies and... I, you know, I'm not that familiar with him. I do think he also was married to someone who had a skiing accident in Canada and couldn't be saved. You know, another victory for socialized medicine, basically. Um, and that's about all I know about Liam Neeson. But last night I found out in passing that he was uh, a racist. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, what? 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 You know, um, what did he do? You know, they found some pictures in his yearbook. I mean, I, I really was uh, confused. And then this morning, um, they kept uh, touting, even on other stations, this interview that he had on, uh, I guess it's Good Morning America. I'm not really sure. I don't know the difference between all those morning shows, but it's the one with uh, Gail on it, Oprah's friend. And she is interviewing him. Now, apparently, he's got a new movie out that's about revenge or something. And uh, ostensibly, this was uh, he's on a promotional tour for this movie. And at some point, he was involved in an interview with a journalist about revenge, the movie. And she asked him, well, how, do you, how did you um, prepare for this role? Like, what do you know about revenge? And he, uh, uh, and he said that um, 40 years ago, he uh, came home from a job, you know, an acting job overseas, and he came back, I believe he's Irish, came back to Ireland, and a very close friend or relative, I don't really remember, um, had been brutally raped. And when he found out, he, he went to see her and, and asked, you know, do you know who did it? And she said, no, it was, uh, you know, a, a stranger. Um, and he said, well, you know, what he looked like. And she said, well, he was a black man. And Liam Neeson then proceeds to tell the story about how for, uh, he was filled with rage. And all right up until this point, it all makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you'd be filled with rage if your friend or your relative got raped. It wouldn't matter to me what color the rape, rapist was. It's the rape. Rape is an act of violence. It's not a sexual act. And so I'm listening to him then say for the next couple of nights or something, he, he 
grabbed a kosh. I don't even know what a kosh is. I presume it's some kind of a, you know, a weapon, uh, maybe a bar or a bat. I don't know what it is. And he went into neighborhoods where there were predominantly black people living and tried to get someone to attack him so that he could beat them. And I mean, you had to watch. I I made sure to watch the interview because now I'm fascinated. It's everybody's a racist, and everybody, no matter what they said or thought 50 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what's still in their heart, apparently, according to the uh, uh, the media. And so, the the um, the the Gail. What's her last name? Gail. I don't remember, but she's uh, Oprah Winfrey's best friend. Um, and she she says to him, well, you know, but you felt bad, right? And he said, well, yeah, when I realized what I was doing, I felt terrible. Only he said it in that accent that he has that I can't do an Irish accent. And, uh, and, and then I went to get some help. And at first I wasn't sure, did he go get some help? Was he looking for somebody to help him beat up people? Or was he um, looking for mental health help? Or, or what was he looking for? And at that point, my interest in the story started to wane and my interest in what it brought up in me and in probably everybody who was viewing it was the most important thing I could think about. And all I can tell you is that uh, I, I don't believe for a second that um, Liam Neeson is a racist. You know, I also don't believe that what he did back then was logical. I don't believe it was um, a direct result of his uh, belief system. As a matter of fact, he talked about how much violence there was in Northern Ireland in those days, the Protestants and the Catholics and all the stuff that was going on. Um, and I, I don't believe for a second, and this is what's important, really. I don't believe that people who respond and react in the way that he described, are really thinking race. I think they're thinking evil. And I think the fact that the person had been identified as a person of color could have been a, you know, she could have said it was a, you know, a Norwegian blonde guy and he would have gone into Norwegian blonde neighborhoods. I, I, I just don't know. I think that we have made this everything into a race issue, regardless of whether it really is or isn't. And that's very dangerous because it, it, by that measure, everybody is racist. Because let me tell you something. I have heard people, black people, say some of the most horrible things about white people. And they say them vehemently. You know, I... I um, I sat in a in a meeting once where a minister from the Nation of Islam said if you you know if you know a good white person kill them before they go bad. You know, and I know that uh, that's very extreme, but I also know uh members of my own circle, my own family to be honest with you who will say things like I don't trust white people, I don't like white people. I want to beat up some white people. You know, and, and that's really, really, really a dangerous place for this country or any other country to be in. 
I've always said, and this has been my argument since, uh, you know, the civil rights movement, which I was very young, um, but it, it continued, it continues on to today. You know, only now we're trying to get civil rights for people who want to, you know, uh, change their sex as though that were somehow the same as uh, being bigoted and, and prejudiced against people because of some immutable characteristic like race or, or gender. And so I, 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 I'm really concerned that we have made race um, so very important in terms of how we cover news, how we talk about politics, how we talk about everything. Because on the outside, you know, I live in a completely interracial world. In America today, um, society is uh, completely and totally integrated, which doesn't mean there isn't tribalism. You know, when I go into, when I go to New York to visit, you know, I go back to my old neighborhood. Most people like to take a walk through their old neighborhood if they haven't been around town for a while. And I always go back to my old neighborhood. And my old neighborhood is now um, significantly um, Dominican. A lot of people from the Dominican Republic live in that neighborhood. And the restaurants are incredible. There are still uh, some hanger-on Puerto Ricans in that neighborhood. And there's still the yeshiva there. So there's a whole bunch of kosher pizza parlors too. So I love to go back there. And I love to, to eat at the restaurants. I love to shop at the bodegas. You know, it's, it's part of the experience for me. And I'm comfortable there. I'm not that comfortable when I walk around, you know, uh, Sutton Place in the Upper East Side because that's not where I come from. But I'm certainly not afraid of going into any neighborhood. Never have been. You know, um, some some neighborhoods that are particularly scary are because of the drugs in them, not because of the skin color or the religion of the people that live there. It's because of drugs. Drugs breed violence, and violence is scary. But I also always tell the story. If I went to a special high school, was, you know, it was one of these high schools you had to take a test to get in. You're supposed to be really smart. You know, I can tell you uh, from personal experience, not everybody was really smart, but a lot of people were super smart. And the first time I entered, I, I went in in the ninth grade. You know, in those days, there were some people stayed in middle school through the ninth grade and just did 10, 11, and 12 in high school. But I, I came out in, in the what was ostensibly my ninth year to go into, into the high school. And the first time I walked into the cafeteria, it was a stark reminder, not of racism, but of tribalism, okay? Over here were all the uh, athletes, all the jocks were over there, and there weren't that many jocks at my school because it was a specialty high school. And over here were all the, uh, you know, future valedictorian, nerdy, geeky ones with the pencil protectors and, you know, the girls with the thick Coke bottle glasses, and, you know, they sat over in one part of the lunchroom then there were all the minorities the, the 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 puerto ricans all sat together there weren't that many of them either all the black kids sat together quite a number of them and then there were the uh you know the the ones that you just didn't know there were the you know the asian kids that sat together there were a lot of asians in that school and nobody told them to sit separately 
They were all not in the same class. It's not like if you're, if you're Asian, you're going to be in class A. If you're black, you're going to be in class B. No, it wasn't like that at all. But at lunchtime, everybody gets, uh, you know, gets to sit wherever they want. And the tribalism was very clear to me in high school that people like to be around people who look like them, people who talk like them, people who whose home lives are like them, who people who eat the kind of foods they eat. Like there was nothing freakier than me when I sat down next to this kid and he was eating a chocolate sandwich with butter on it. And I like said like from what, you know, what ethnicity is that? You know, but because you know, where I was sitting, everybody was eating, you know, pollo guisao, you know, in a little uh, Tupperware thing. Anyway. Um, I'm just, I'm so fearful that now we are examining what somebody felt or said or thought 40 years ago and now branding them as racist for that thought. I I don't know Liam Neeson. I'm not defending Liam Neeson, but good God. Um, Y'all better look at your high school yearbooks and y'all better be careful what you say on the Internet because apparently uh, the sins of the past are going to infiltrate the present. All right, coming up at 1 o'clock, we're going to be talking with Dr. Steve Camerata from the Center for Immigration Studies. There was an interesting new report that came out, well, interesting and depressing, but probably uh, right on time. Um, They came up with an unserious border security proposal, and uh, we're going to examine that, as well as uh, um, some of these statistics that are absolutely mind-boggling. And when I say that, I, I, I didn't think there was many things left that could surprise me. But I must admit, when I saw this, uh, immigration to add 75 million people by 2060. 2060. Analysis shows current policy will make the U.S. population much larger, but not much younger. We're talking about um, people between the ages of 16 and 64. With well, uh, I'll I'll discuss that with Dr. Camerata, and you'll get to hear that. And then uh, uh, towards the end of the hour, I'll be checking in with Mark Lauder from the RNC to see what uh, what he's expecting or what they're expecting at the State of the Union address, which is uh, shaping up to look pretty nutty already. I mean, some of these guests that people are bringing, you know, Ocasio Cortez is bringing the lady who accosted. Um, Jeff Flake, which is fine, who cares about Jeff Flake anyway, um, in the elevator, but then that ended up with Jeff Flake insisting on an extension in the Kavanaugh hearing, which uh, probably never should have taken place. So she's going to be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's guest. Then Nancy Pelosi is bringing Fred Gutenberg, the parent of one of the kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, but the parent who is all in everybody's face about gun control, which, hey, I understand his heart was broken. Um, Nobody's going to diminish his value um, in speaking his mind. But he's also someone who, uh, you know, accused Justice Kavanaugh when he was just in the confirmation hearing of ignoring his outstretched hand, which was ended up being complete um, fabrication. 